You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. I am so excited to introduce you all to registered nurse Liesl Teen, or as you may already know her, Mummy Labor Nurse. Liesl has been a nurse since 2013 and created her online platform in 2017, which includes birth classes, a popular podcast, a large Instagram page and platform, and she's so passionate about educating new moms and wants new moms to feel empowered going into their labor and delivery experience. Liesl is joining us today to talk about birth plans. We'll get into the details of what people think should be included in a birth plan versus what is actually needed. We'll also talk about how expectant mothers can advocate for themselves during labor and birth and offer some advice for moms that had a birth that didn't go according to plan or was traumatic. I remember when I was getting ready to have my first baby and researching all the options out there. It can be so overwhelming and you don't know what is actually truly helpful in a birth plan versus what is the extra fluff and things that are not helpful. I can't wait for you all to hear the gems that Liesl and I discussed today. So strap those kiddos in the stroller or lace up your running shoes or enjoy your nice quiet moment by yourself while we dive into my conversation with Liesl. Before jumping in, let's hear our iTunes review of the week. This review comes from Eileen Besch and it is titled, So Many Great Episodes. I recently found out about this podcast and there are so many episodes I'm excited to listen to. I've listened to about four or five and they've been so informative, interesting, and relative. What an amazing resource for new moms and experienced moms. Thank you so much for taking the time to leave this review. I know that it took conscious effort to log into iTunes, find your way to the review section, and type something in for me, but it does not go unnoticed. For creators like myself who put in so much time and effort and resources to make sure that you have quality content that is free and accessible, reviews are like bread and butter to me. I appreciate it, and it goes such a long way in letting me know that I'm on the right track and touching on topics that are important and relevant to all of you. So thank you so much for this review. And now let's hear my conversation with Liesl. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Liesl, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on the Happy as a Mother podcast. I got to join you and your audience a few weeks ago and so happy to have you here. I see lots of people sharing your content. I know our audience is probably already following you. If not, they will be after this. We cross in some regard for sure. Yeah. So thanks (laughs) for taking the time. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Happy to be on the Happy as a Mother podcast. Super there happy. You go. <laughs> <laughs> Usually pretty happy. It was funny. I was talking to a client I was seeing yesterday. And she's like, I took the day off work today because, you know, probability of tears in therapy or talking with a therapist are pretty high. I'm like, yeah. It's a pretty good prediction. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, forecast of tears and therapy, you know, it's a, it's a good likelihood of tears, but not today. We're not going to. No, no one this, will. I mean, <laughs> it may feel like a therapy session with you and I, but it's okay. There's going to be no tears. I don't expect it's tears, but we'll see. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. So I have been getting to know you, but I always love to ask what caused you to go down the creation of your page, Mommy Laborners? How did that all come about? Yeah. Why did I go down the rabbit hole of like being an Instagram content creator? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So I think I have a pretty similar story to a lot of the people out there who started pages, you know, similar to mine in the motherhood realm. So became a mom and had my first son. He's four and almost four and a half now. I am a labor and delivery nurse. So I work here in Raleigh. I've been working as a labor and delivery nurse for about almost seven years now. And so I was working as a nurse at the time and I still do, but working full-time as a nurse, night shift, had him, came back from three months maternity leave and came back almost full-time, not quite full-time. You know, I love my nursing job as a labor and delivery nurse, but was like feeling the pull of, I want to stay home with my baby. Like, is there anything I can do at home to supplement income so I can drop to part-time? I think something that a lot of people struggle with, you know, if they're working parents going back to work and, you know, what the right balance is. So yeah, got to thinking he was about eight or nine months old when I started thinking about starting a blog. And this mommy labor nurse really started out as a blog in the very beginning stages of it. So started a blog when he was about eight or nine months old, took about four or five months to really work on it. And when he was about a year old, I launched it and I launched like an Instagram page to go along with it and a Pinterest and did all of those things, put out blog articles. And my name wasn't even mommy labor nurse back then. It was something else. And I was just trying to spread information out there from a mom standpoint as like a mom blogger, but also with medical knowledge behind it. So I was like, this is a cool spin I can do. You know, there's a lot of mom blogs out there, but there's not a lot of mom blogs that are by labor and delivery nurses. So I thought this is a cool way to do it. So eventually later that year took more of a marketing Instagram sort of course and changed my brand to mommy labor nurse that people know me now as. So changed my look, changed my pictures, changed the way that I kind of shared information on Instagram. And I got a pretty good boost from that and following from that. And then yeah, put out a few courses, started a podcast, started doing more courses you know, started writing more blog articles, kind of just going whichever way the wind blows me now. Now it's like, okay, what am am I going to do? You know, people are really into reels. We're doing lots of reels now. And like people are doing this and this. I love it. I saw one yesterday. Now it's like, okay, let's just throw something against the wall and, you know, keep seeing what sticks. So that's me in a nutshell. (laughs) And you're still nursing. You're like running this platform right now and still nursing. That's mad. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. Let's clarify that too. I'm not working full-time for sure anymore. I'm working very part-time. We call it casual. So I work about every other weekend. So it's really the perfect balance right now for us because I'm still able to get that bedside care and still be with my patients. 
and still dip my toes in and not like forget what bedside care is about and actually caring for a patient. But yeah, I'm yeah. doing all of my mommy labor nurse stuff. I mean, I would think you would because you still see patients too, right? I do a couple days a week. It kind of like keeps your finger on the pulse in a way, right? Yeah. Like it keeps you informed with what's going on. Yep. And I don't know that I'll be able to sustain that forever as the platform grows. And there's other ways, like lots of Q&A or other lives, and there's like lots of ways to get interaction with clients, yeah. I feel like. But I do I do still keep a caseload right now. Yeah, and, yeah, same. Uh, and that's yeah. exactly where we're at right now. It's like, okay, I know I love this. I love to schedule. But as things grow, you're like, am I going to be able to sustain this like long-term? Exactly. And, not sure, but we're not quite there yet. I'm still able to do everything. So it's been a good balance for sure. Have you had a patient recognize you? <laughs> I've had a few. Yeah, that's so yeah, funny. It doesn't happen that often because first of all, now, especially with COVID, you know, we're still wearing the masks and the cat. Uh, like, you can kind of like hide. Yeah, yeah, you're very, now my name is pretty recognizable. If somebody is a follower of mine and they like know my name because they watch my stories or whatever, when I introduce myself, someone would probably know, oh, Liesl. Are you mommy laborers? Yeah. But I've only had a handful of people actually, when I walk into the room, they're like, oh, I follow you, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But I've had quite a few people, if I'm coming into work or if I'm talking to a coworker, they'll be like, oh, I had a patient the other day who took your course and she did so well, or, you know, my patient follows you on Instagram. She loves your page, blah, 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 blah. It's more like hearsay. I'm also only there, you know, every other weekend. So I only have a handful of patients. If I was working full-time, I'm sure that that would happen a lot more. But since I don't have that many patients in general, anyway, it's like, kind of few and far between. Well, it's interesting because like I do remote teletherapy because I can do my job from home. And so I really haven't been out in the pandemic at all. And so now like that things are, well, we're still in lockdown in Ontario and they're just starting to like open things up. But when I go out, I'm like, oh, can I hide behind my mask? Will (laughs) anybody recognize me? Will they? It's becoming this weird thing. We went into lockdown and I had like I don't know, maybe a few thousand followers and now it's grown so substantially. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting, it's interesting to navigate. Yeah. I feel like I could geek out on Instagram, you know, influencer stuff all day long. Oh, yes. But we're here today to talk about birth plans. And I think that this is so interesting. And I think back about my first experience, like, oh, you know, what do I want my birth plan to be as if I like had control <laughs> of any of it? Yeah, have a plan. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. And so I think that there are some key pieces here that we can kind of touch on. But what we think a birth plan needs to include and what it actually should include feel like two very different things in my mind. It can be, yeah, for sure. So we have one. It's mommylaborners.com slash birth plan. I think if you just go to that link, we have like a free one that you can download and it's like a little template that you can follow. That's super easy. Awesome. But you're exactly right that a lot of people think I need to put all of this stuff on here. And if I don't put all of this stuff on here, it's not going to happen. But really what I recommend people to do, even before you go to mommylaborners.com and slash birth plan and like actually fill out a birth plan is to first have a conversation with your provider at one of your prenatal visits in, you know, your prenatal care and talk to them about your birth and talk to them about some of the things that you're thinking about putting on your birth plan. Because a lot of this stuff, a lot of the stuff that I see out on the internet, you know, if you just search a birth plan template, 
It's like these big long things and it's like a lot of fluff that you really, Mm. really don't need to put on there. That's very standard that we do at almost all hospitals. So I would do that first and have a conversation with your provider and say, maybe for example, it's skin to skin. I really want to do skin to skin with my baby. Like as soon as my baby's born, that's really important to me. And and most providers are going to say, oh, you don't even have to put on, put that on there. Like that's standard practice. We do that with all patients, unless the baby's unstable or mom's unstable or this, that, and the other, that's standard practice. Same thing goes with a lot of things like delayed cord clamping. You don't really have to put that on there in a lot of instances because it's just standard practice. So a lot of these things we're finding are starting to become, you know, as we have more like baby friendly hospitals, they're becoming more standard practice. I would say, firstly, go to your provider, talk to them about some of your birth wishes. The other really good advantage of doing that too is making sure that you're at a practice that aligns with the important things that are on your birth plan, okay? Mm -hmm. So let's say, I would hope this wouldn't happen, but let's say you're very, you know, you want to really go natural, you want to do a home birth, or you want to, you know, do something like no interventions at all, nothing, like want to have it very serene, which is great, that's fine. But then you're at a practice that has a very, very high C-section rate, or they have a very, very high epidural rate, and you weren't aware of that. You know, they deliver at this hospital that you weren't aware of. And so you're starting to have this conversation. You're like, I'm not really too sure that my birth wishes, what I align with what my birth looks like, is aligning with what my practice is all about. So that also gets the conversation going of like, wait a second, maybe I need to switch practices or like maybe I need to be with a different practice. So that's another reason why it's really, really good. I can't remember if you asked me anything else, but that's my biggest thing is like, make sure you talk to your provider first before you even fill anything out. Well, and how the healthcare system works there versus in Canada is so different. So you're like, oh, just switch practitioners. That's not a thing here. And so like you have your general physician who usually tracks with you until about 20 weeks and then you go to OB care after that. We do have in Ontario, but not even across all of Canada, we do have like midwifery care is a part of our like healthcare mm-hmm. system. So I had midwives for all three of my deliveries and they tend to support or people tend to go that route if they want like less of a hospital birth and more mm-hmm. of like a home birth. Mm-hmm. So how the system here is structured here is a little bit different and you kind of have less choice yeah. in a way. That being said, people will find support through like doulas or midwives Mm -hmm. or like other birthing professionals to really be a voice and advocate for their birth plan or like how they foresee their birth going or the type of environment or type of birth I guess they want to have or whatever. But but yeah, structured a little bit differently, but still some choice or or sort of some options within that as well. Yeah. And I would say so – If you're saying you kind of have to decide what way you want to go before you hit 20 weeks, because you can either go like this way or that way. Is that how it works? Kind of. Yeah. Like, I don't think so. If I'm like, okay, I'm not a OB in the Canadian system, but I have never heard like an OB would never do a home birth. I don't know if that happens there. Or anything like that. So, like, if you're talking, like, wanting to do home birth, wanting to birth in water, wanting to do these types of things, you're talking, like, midwifery care here. And then if you're looking for more of a hospital birth. So that is something that I guess, like, when I'm thinking back, a decision that you make 
kind of upfront, yeah. right? Before you select your care provider, at least here. Because if you want to get in with midwives, then you get in with them, you know, kind of from the ground level. Yeah. And that's yeah. cool. I mean, I like that, that the conversation is kind of happening and you kind of get to go one of two ways. But my only thing would be like, okay, like, what if you change your mind? Like, yeah. it seems like it's hard yeah. to get out. Well, yeah. And then like, if for some reason at any point, like under the care of a midwife, if you are termed like high risk yeah. or twins yeah. or, you know, any sort of complications, then you have like a dual relationship. So yeah. you'll have care of both midwife and OB to track with you and things like that. So the system is a little bit different, but essentially, yeah, like having those conversations, knowing what you want and what your care provider I don't know if it's like their philosophy or way of doing things Mm -hmm. kind of right but it's so funny like I think about when I was first pregnant and none of my friends had kids and so they're like talking about a birth and they're talking about like oh do you have like a push song like picked out (laughs) (laughs) and as a mom of three kids now it just makes me like literally laugh out loud because like that is not like my birth plan is not about like what robe I'm in and what song is playing and like (laughs) the candles that are burning in the room like you know it's so different than that and I think that like it's important for us to have this conversation for those reasons that it can be kind of like romanticized or the things that maybe we place importance on are not the things that we actually truly need to be discussing, right? Yes. So that brings us to kind of the next point of like, what are kind of some things that are typically on birth plans? So I would say important stuff is pain control, obviously. Yeah. Another good thing is like monitoring, what sort of monitoring you would prefer, But pain control is definitely a big one if you're planning on having a vaginal delivery. So we have a big section on our birth plan template about pain control because a lot of people don't realize it's not just a decision of like, I want an epidural, I don't want an epidural. There's a lot of things that you can do if you don't get an epidural. Like, do you want to try water therapy? Do you want to try getting on the ball? Do you want to try this? Do you want to try that? So there's a lot of like decisions in in terms of that. And there's also like, I would say a fair amount of aftercare on there too, like with baby. Okay. You know, I mentioned skin to skin, but vitamin K, people, people want to talk about that kind of stuff. And let's make sure that baby stays with me and it's not going outside of the room for procedures. Can I stay with baby? You know, all of this stuff. A lot of this stuff, honestly, we should be asking you when you're coming in and we should be talking to you about as we're doing things, but a birth plan is kind of more like an insurance thing that you have just in case you can't voice everything or you can't answer questions. Like I know I've had two babies too. And it's sometimes you come in you're just like, I thought I wanted this and I don't actually want this, or I'm in so much pain. I just don't care right now. But I know that a lot of people, like for instance, IV pain medication or something. Like maybe someone comes in and they're like, I don't care, give me whatever they want. And then they get something. And then after the fact, they're like, oh man, I was about to have a baby. Like I wish I had just kind of like listened to myself and not actually like just gotten what. So maybe if they had a birth plan and it said, I would prefer not to have this if possible. It's sometimes it's really, really hard to advocate for yourself when you're in lots and lots of pain. And unfortunately, pain comes with labor. That's just a natural yeah. natural part of labor, as most of us know. Yeah. It makes me think about my first experience where, and this I feel like ties into some of the mental health pieces. Like I was like, 
determined to do it the natural way, you know. And I think that I unpack this a lot with moms after the fact, this feeling of like a good mom does XYZ and we fill it in in our head with what we think a good mom is or does. And and that starts in pregnancy and how we carry and the expectations we have of ourselves carries into labor and delivery, how our baby came into the world carries into how yeah. feeding goes or if we choose to bottle feed or breastfeed or nurse or whatever. So, so much of how we're forming our identity as a mother is wrapped up in these decisions, it feels like, right? So, so much determines it comes back to birth. That's honestly why we do what we do at Mommy Labor Nurse and like why we take a different approach when it comes to birth education because so many people out there do birth education really, really well, like do like a birth education course or present birth education about going natural, quote unquote, going natural. They do it very, very well, but they don't talk about, you know, what if I do change my mind and I want to get an epidural or what if I do get an epidural? Like I've heard from so many people that have taken those types of courses or have gone through that sort of information or read these sorts of books that they're great and they prepare people so, so well. But I hear from so many moms that I ended up getting an epidural and I felt so guilty. I felt like I failed because I took this course or I, or I read this book and I was like really prepared for going natural, but then I changed my mind and I got an epidural and it just hurt so bad. And I just feel so bad, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, I don't want people to come away from that at all. That's why we are like, okay, I'm get, that's what we have a few different courses and my natural one, I say, I'll teach you everything you need to know about going natural if that's really what you want to do. But I'm also going to teach you what it's like to get an epidural if you change your mind. And if you change your mind, it's okay. It's totally fine. You're not a failure. You're that's a very, very, very important piece to birth education yeah. is not coming away from your birth feeling like a failure, whether it's a natural birth, quote unquote, I don't like the word natural. I know, whether I it's know, a natural birth, I, Whether it's a natural birth, we'll say natural birth. Yeah, air air quotes, quotes, yeah. yeah, whether it's a natural birth, whether you end up having a C-section, that is such a, such an important part because that is something that C-section moms feel so deeply is that they went into this trying to have a vaginal delivery. They ended up having a C-section. I feel like I failed. No, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely yeah. like eh, wrong. Yeah. Big buzzer on what's that show that has the big buzzer? <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah, has got yeah, talent. Yeah. Big buzzer. No, no, no. That is not true. <laughs> well, and it's so like it's amazing how these things tie into our perception of being a good mom and how it is so narrowly defined. And I think it's so important for us to lay this out here for a moment that moms enter into motherhood, people, birthing people enter into parenthood in ways that are beyond what we narrowly sort of stereotypically define them as. And so that can be through adoption. Like it starts from conception. That could be through like embryo adoption. That could be through surrogacy. That could be through fostering to maybe like, you know, carrying our own baby to term to C-section, to water birth, to whatever, right? And all of those are equally valid and neither one is superior to the other. And I think that when we only see one narrative, when we only see one story, that is the one that we ingrain as the one that we must have in order to do this thing right. 
I went into my first labor with that, like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it right. Like I'm a first time mom and I'm going to whatever. I labored for like 55 hours. I wasn't progressing. And I was like, give me an epidural or I'm going to lose my mind. Like I'm actually, I'm like in and out of labor. Now I've not slept for two or three days. Epidural. Best decision I ever made in my freaking life. (laughs) With my second baby, I walked on the labor and delivery board and I was like, no one is touching me or breaking my water until I have an epidural. Where is the anesthesiologist? I'm just going to chill in my room until I get my epidural. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. and it was empowering. I made that decision from the get-go and Mm -hmm. it, you know, different delivery entirely and whatever. But it wasn't a failure to do that, to have a different Mm -hmm. birth plan that was, I don't know, different than the main narrative, I guess. Yep. No, totally. I'm curious what happened with your third one. The wild card, as they say. Can I say, yes, I was going to say the third one is always wild for some reason. Always. Like, that's what I was told. And so (laughs) wild made me think like, oh my gosh, this baby is going to like shoot out of me, right? So I was like so terrified (laughs) that I'd be like having this baby at home or something. Mm -hmm. So the first one was like, seriously, two or three days of labor. The midwives were surprised I didn't end up in C-section, but because I had the epidural, I was able to like relax or something happened, baby came out and, and it was great. Second one, I walked on, got an epidural, baby was out in like no time, like the most seamless, It was like the baby that convinced me that I was okay to have another baby. It was like, I don't know. I don't know if it was like a trap or like a trick, but it like made us do it again. And now I'm like, "Eh," you know, (laughs) three kids is a lot, but (laughs) here we are. Here we are. But no, and it went really smooth. And then the third labor would start in the nighttime really intensely. I couldn't sleep. And then I would get to the hospital and it would dead stop. (gasps) Stop. It completely would stop and it did it three times and so and I wasn't progressing so the midwives were checking me and I wasn't progressing so the third time or like I don't know how many days this went out over I got to the hospital in the morning and I was like this is the second or third night I haven't slept I'm not making this up I've had two other kids I know I'm in labor at nighttime when I'm in it Mm -hmm. and then I get here and it's up you're not sending me home I'm not going home Mm -hmm. I'm not doing this again Mm -hmm. I'm not going home so they broke my water and without an epidural which I was terrified to let them do because of my first experience And still nothing happened. And I walked the stairs and halls of that hospital for hours. Weird labor. One contraction every 15 minutes and then got an epidural and he was out in like an hour or something ridiculous. Very strange. That is very strange. Very strange. It was That's like a baby for you. Yeah. I'm telling you. They got an epidural and we're like, oh, okay, we've got time. My husband went to the elevator to get pizza. Mm-hmm. They had to go and get him because they're like, baby is coming right now. You're going to miss it. <laughs> it was the weirdest. It was weird. That so is very weird because every 15 minutes, every 10 minutes, you know, contractions, like, and then an hour you have a, and you have a baby. Yeah. That is a third baby for you. They're like, they're odd. So unpredictable. Right. <laughs> I know. And I think that like when I meet clients then often, I meet them on the other end of these birth plans, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So we have those like romanticized ideas or these ideas that are paired with what it means for us to do it right. Yeah. Right? Like what it means for us to have a successful labor or delivery or whatever that looks like. And then people end up in my office. Yeah. For whatever reason, postpartum depression, anxiety, you know, adjusting to parenthood or birth trauma. Mm -hmm. Or another common occurrence is they had a really challenging birth, 
and they're about to go through it again. Yeah. Right? And they're scared. They're scared or that maybe there was trauma or whatever. Can we talk about how you work with those clients or patients when maybe it didn't go according to plan? Yeah, sure. I have a lot of those moms who come and take our course. That's a very frequent type of mom who follows me or takes one of my courses. They had some sort of experience that didn't go exactly the way that they wanted to go and they want to change things. So yeah, I would first tell someone, let's say you're not even pregnant yet and you're thinking about having another baby and want things to go differently. I would first say to them, look at your area where you are and see about your practice and see if you are able to change. I know it's you said it's a little bit different in Canada, but see if you can change your practice and see if that's, you know, the piece of it that really, really needs to change. Because so often, if you just change the practice, it makes such a difference. That's very, very common that someone is with a practice and they felt like they weren't heard during their prenatal care. They felt like they were voicing things and their provider wasn't taking them seriously. And then this, you know, XYZ happened the first time. Yeah. So I would say definitely do some research. If you're already pregnant here, at least in the United States, you still can change your practice. You know, if you feel like you're not with a practice that you feel is a good fit, but even if you're not even pregnant yet, definitely do some research, look at some reviews, talk to some moms in the area, feel some people out. You can even do interviews. If you want to do interviews, interview some providers and see who is a good fit for you because you can advocate for yourself all day long. But if you're with a provider and a practice who doesn't align with you and who doesn't listen to you, that's going to be a huge barrier in your care. So Mm -hmm. that is like such an important piece If you do anything at all, make sure you have like such a great relationship with your provider because that's not only going to safeguard you, like let's say, not that C-sections are bad by any means, but you had an unscheduled C-section the first time, you're trying to VBAC the next time and you end up having, it's an unsuccessful VBAC, you end up having a C-section the next time. If you're with a provider who you trust and you feel like listens to you, you're going to come away from that experience with a much different mindset than if you were with someone who you felt like didn't listen to you, didn't care for you, wasn't taking you seriously. So that number one is a huge, huge thing is to find a good Mm -hmm. provider and a good practice that you align with. Let's say you were with your general physician until the 20-week mark and you are being referred out to an OB and you had like a negative experience with a certain OB last time. You can request a new OB this time or it's interesting here because if you're being tracked by an OB, your OB isn't going to be the one that delivers baby at the hospital. So it's like on rotation on whoever's on call. But your midwives do. So I had a team of four midwives who I rotated seeing through my entire pregnancy and two of them show up to the birth. So being somebody who in retrospect definitely had some anxiety during pregnancy and postpartum, the knowing who would be there and just having that consistency of care for me was really important. And I hadn't had a traumatic experience. So I can imagine how much more so that would be the case for somebody who, you know, is really 
even more heightened going into that experience. And you mentioned something that I hear so often in session is, I didn't feel heard. I was in so much pain and I had no control or I didn't feel heard or I wasn't taken Mm -hmm. seriously. And the idea of like birth trauma or trauma generally speaking is like, we often kind of pigeonhole it into this idea that you know, mom or baby had to have like a near-death experience in order for it to be bad enough to be deemed traumatic. Right. Right. Where in actual fact, it's like anything too much too soon that overwhelms our ability to cope in a situation, which there were certain situations that broke out in a couple of my labors. There were a couple sort of sketchy moments and like the world stood still in those moments. Like it was very intense Mm -hmm. and the faces in the room changed and there were things that shifted Mm -hmm. and whether it was okay or whatever maybe not okay at the end like there's lots of different people with different stories who are listening whatever your feelings are they're valid right like your experience is valid and if you didn't feel heard or if you're struggling with that, like how can they advocate to their provider? Like let's say you're the nurse and you know, your patient's coming in and and they're sensitive to that. How can they best interact with their provider? Yeah. So you brought up a good thing. You said that a big thing that people deal with is that they aren't in control of the situation or they feel like they're not in control of the situation. We find that that's a big one for us too, that it's a big pain point that we see a lot of people that follow me. That's one of their biggest concerns is like, I felt like I wasn't in control before and I I really want to feel like I'm more in control. And the fact of the matter is like, there's a lot of things that, you know, you can't, you can't have complete control, Yeah, but it is that lack of control that is so like, anxiety provoking and just affects people so, so much. So if you were coming in and let's say you had a history of birth trauma, something happened the first time, whatever it may be, whether it is something super, super, you know, like baby had to go to NICU really quickly, you know, something really, really traumatic happened or something as little as you felt like you weren't heard the first time. Your birth didn't go the way that you wanted it to go. If I know that about somebody, I'm going to explain things Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. the nth degree to you. Make sure that you understand exactly what is going on as it's happening to you. Ask permission, because that's a big thing that people deal with is consent. They felt like, my provider was just checking me without telling that me. Is so that's a huge one. It's a big one. Yes. Yeah. That is a huge one is that, okay, I'm going to explain everything that's going on and I'm going to explain why we're doing it. Do you have any questions? I can answer these questions for you. Is it okay if I do this? And I'm going to be that way. I'm going to make sure the provider's that way. The provider and I are on the same team, but we're also looking out for each other in terms of, If my provider says something that I'm not okay with in front of the patient, like we're going to have a brief outside of the room. Like, actually, she doesn't really want her water to be broken right now. Like, can we go back in and like reapproach this subject sort of thing? Like I said, we're on the same team, but we also like, it's like a checks and balances kind of of situation. Yeah. But really that's like the key element of it is explaining and asking permission and being very, very gentle 
with things and being very, you know, a big part of it too is I'm looking at the sort of patient that you are and what you latch onto in terms of like, what sort of care provider do you need? Okay. Do you need me to be all up in your business and like touching your head and really giving super individualized, you know, I'm just all up, all up on you. Do you need that sort of labor support or do you need more of like, sometimes people really need like hard love of, I know you're going crazy. I'm in your face. Like, it's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. Some people need that. Some people more like a coach than a more coach. like a yeah exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's also an element of it is making sure you're not coach when they need you to be like super affirmative mom. Yes, yes. <laughs> so you're also reading yeah. them and seeing what sort of care to best support them during labor. And then if all of those things are talking to each other, my goal is to not have you come away from the situation and have trauma. That's really my goal at the end of the day. So if all of those things are happening, hopefully your experience is going to be a lot better than it was the first time. Yeah. And when I think about this conversation of control is so interesting because as a mom of three kids, looking back on my birthing experiences, there is so much that I could not control. And then there were things that I could. And the things Mm -hmm. that I could were using the coping skills that I've learned for anxiety right? Mm -hmm. The ability to rein in my intrusive thoughts and fears in a moment, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. There are certain skills that we can learn out of the moment that are empowering. And Mm -hmm. I've heard actually that hypnobirthing is really great for teaching these skills on how to be in the moment and not like get lost in the anxiety or like overthinking or really pulled out of the moment. And so This is a really key sort of entry point into care from my perspective where a lot of moms end up in my office because it's like, okay, found out I'm pregnant again and panicked already about birth. And so if you find that like intrusive thoughts or you're still very emotional about your previous birth experience or that being in the hospital at certain checkups or certain things brings back like flashbacks or is triggering If you find that you're maybe just kind of like anxiously wired, like I'm just kind of a wound up person. Like I was kind of already going to be primed to have anxiety, I feel like postpartum because that's sort of within my temperament. And so learning those skills ahead of time with a maternal mental health specialist or perinatal mental health specialist allows you to feel more prepared and empowered that you are able to cope with whatever things might arise in that experience. And it feels empowering to be able to do that. It does. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree with everything you just said. And I, for one, am a good example because I certainly didn't have birth trauma with my first one at all. But with my first one, I had really bad postpartum anxiety with him. So I went into my second experience, like, let's try and avoid this happening as much as humanly possible. And I was fine. Like, I had a really, really great postpartum experience when he was little. But then my care started to slip and I started to go back to work and my stressors started to increase and we moved, you know, and like, we're starting to think about moving and all of these things and started slipping and I slipped right back into it. And I'm like, no wonder I did, (laughs) you know, I prepared so, so well and I was doing fine. And then once you just kind of like let things go, 
course, yeah, I have, I'm the same kind of person that you are. I'm wound very tight. I have a very anxious personality. So I need those things in place to keep me okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then I think about like you were going back to work full time at three months and you know, across the states, that number varies depending on workplace and insurance and all kinds of different things. Here, it's a little bit different. And I think the challenges postpartum that moms might face while still adjusting to motherhood universally, there's definitely some things. And then, but they're not leaving a three month old baby, usually, some are. And knowing the statistics on when postpartum depression and anxiety really sink in, like usually they get flagged and identified in that three to four month mark, which is in the States a lot of times when moms are reintegrating back into work at the same time, right? We talked about that in a therapy session too. It's like, why does this correlate with the four month sleep regression? <laughs> like that's right. Like, and I there's so <laughs> many reasons. Like, ooh, like there are hormonal reasons, and there are so many contributing yeah. factors. There's the fact that baby is not an infant, and you don't have all the wooing help and support anymore. The yeah. responsibilities of mom increase again because we're not newly postpartum. There are so many contributing mm-hmm. factors that can make that time so challenging. And all that adrenaline of like getting through those sleepless nights is wearing out. There's just so many pieces to it that make it a bit of like a perfect storm in a way. And then this is also when we can kind of crash. Like if we've had birth trauma too, where we go through these flashbacks or we've had this like real hyper arousal, I guess, or like whatever after the fact that can persist or it can really kind of hit or we might even hit a low after being on overdrive for so long. So there's, yeah, lots of contributing factors. So as we're thinking about birth plans and as we're thinking about some things to leave moms with, like a lot of the moms listening are probably here because they already have a little one. And if maybe they want to do things differently or if maybe they want to like have a different story of some kind, I think that we can also do that with our, okay, I know I'm, I'm on my like TED talk now, but we can also rewrite the story of our first painful birth. Do you know what I mean? Like we can yes. work with a therapist yes. and we can work through that story in a way that it doesn't feel like such a, like a failure or like a defeat and see it through a different set of yes. eyes. So I don't want to write off that, that like that, that experience cannot be healed because it can. Yes. It doesn't just take having another child to redo what happened the first time. Yeah, because I'm like, because I was about to go into, you know, we can try and have a redo, but it doesn't really work like that, you know? You can do a lot of work on what happened the first time and train your brain and re-see things that will make you think about it in a much more positive, hopefully positive way. So yes, if you want to have another child, like, great. And it can be a really, really beneficial experience and really, really heal that first experience. But you're right. There is still a lot of work that you can do to heal that first experience without having another Yeah. Child. And I've had this conversation with a friend of mine who sort of was debating, like, I almost want to have another one in order to have a different experience. And yeah. maybe you're like a one and done mom and maybe you've contemplated that or you feel like you've been robbed of this experience and is that a reason to try and have another and all of these things. And I think that if you're still really left reeling about and chewing on that first experience, 
process it through with somebody, find a therapist, work it through. And then once you have some resolution, make your decision on whether you want to try again, whether, you know, like maybe the motivation will be a little bit different for that. This has been so interesting. And you were talking about on those birthing plans, there's also aftercare. Is that primarily aftercare for a baby? Is that aftercare for mom? What is the emphasis on there? I would say it's more aftercare for baby, for mom as well too. A lot of it is feeding preferences. You know, people still want to feel in control of if they're planning on exclusively breastfeeding, they don't, you know, have stuff on there about like if baby's in the nursery for this, that, and the other, make sure you tell me if it's time for baby to be eating. Like don't give formula unless it's absolutely necessary. And vice versa too. I mean, I've talked to people who have had traumatic first time breastfeeding experiences and like want to do formula the next time. And it's very like triggering to go into a hospital where they're very heavy. Like, are you going to breastfeed? Are you going to breastfeed? Are you going to breastfeed? So that's also something to think about too, is if you plan on formula feeding to, you know, be able to advocate for that, or if it's breastfeeding, be able to advocate for that. So feeding is definitely a big one. And, you know, just certain procedures like vaccines and stuff that they give in the hospital, making decisions about that, making decisions about whether you want vitamin K or not. There's a little antibiotic ointment that they put in baby's eyes to help with infections. And some people want that. Some people don't want that. Some people have really strong opinions on like keeping the vernix on baby because it's really, really moisturizing for their skin. So that's something on there that some people feel, you know, they're like, don't wipe the vernix off at all. Like, let's not give baby a bath for a really long time so that vernix really stays on there. Bathing in general is just on there of like, let's delay the bath or like, let's not delay the bath. So it's a lot of, a lot of baby stuff. It's that immediate baby aftercare. It's those like immediate in the first like 24 hours, real like decisions and things. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And like the feeding piece again is another really big piece. I was talking about like nursing and breastfeeding. It came up in like these polls that I do on the weekend, these community polls. And I was getting so many messages from moms are like, I had breast cancer. I have no breasts. And I was being pressured to breastfeed. And everywhere I turned, I had to explain I'm not breastfeeding because I actually don't have breasts. Like moms feel an enormous amount of pressure. I feel like that could be a whole other conversation for a whole other time, (laughs) right? (laughs) Where there are some real challenges and pains and experiences that people have with feeding as well, which makes so much sense that that would be a focus. That is a a huge contributing factor to why a lot of moms have mental health issues after birth is some regard of breastfeeding, feeding, baby being super concerned about feeding and having trauma. Like I'm not breastfeeding anymore, but I had even issues like body issues and I've never had any sexual abuse or any sort of thing like that. But if you're someone who has had that, sometimes it can be very challenging to breastfeed. There's attachment with breastfeeding, but there's also like this other person is using my body and there's these weird feelings of like this other person is... Right. Let's just say that at face value, if you have any sort of body image issues or obviously like any sort of sexual abuse or like anything like that, breastfeeding can sometimes be a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes me appreciate what you said about consent and having trauma-informed like nurses and professionals who can appreciate that 
that can be a lot for for somebody right as you're talking about your birth plan and things it's like giving me ideas I'm like I don't know if you'd want to collaborate on something but like I would love for a birth plan that moms get to have a little like safety plan for mom at the end before they know they're going to need it you know like uh, like even a page of should mom be struggling these are the numbers you can call or Mm -hmm. if mom is really struggling with sleep or really you know having a hard time who can she call for support and like proactively because I'm trying to think it's always a struggle with maternal mental health when do we intervene when do we catch mom at the right time right Is it in the classes before pregnancy? Is it in pregnancy and delivery? Is it after the fact? And the reality is that moms often aren't motivated to learn about this piece until they're in the crisis moment. Like it's not relevant until we're in it. But but at what point as practitioners along the line should they be hearing from us that this is something we need to do to protect ourselves or here is some information should Mm -hmm. you struggle Right. And so I'd love to put our brains together, even to just add to like your freebie download for your birth plan, like a little piece, a little sliver for mom at the end of what I like protective factors, protective factors for mom, because I wrote it down. We're going to we'll yeah, put it in. We'll, we'll, we'll collaborate it. on it. It's like a little mini, like in my mind, we call these things like safety plans. So like what when you're in the pinch yeah. of the moment, what is your safety plan going to be for mom, right? Like we have these safety plans for mm-hmm. baby. We have these conversations about if they're not feeding, if they're not gaining weight, we know to call the pediatrician. We know to call the midwife. We know to do these things for baby. But what is mom's safety yeah. plan? Like when mom is down and out, who does she call? What does that look like? And what are some of those steps? So that'd be so fun. I'd love if we could just like get that into the hands of moms. They might not need it, but you never know who might if we were to do it. So it's at least a safeguard. It's at least exactly. there. Exactly. Right. Like it's, yes, yeah. I'm all for it. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you so much for joining us today. I feel like a little bit of a different interview where we're kind of like bouncing around on. <laughs> topics related to birth plans. But I think that this is going to be a lot of what my audience specifically needs to hear because we're we're on the sort of already have had a birth probably at this point and are maybe contemplating one or maybe still really wrestling with the one that we did have. And there's lots of pieces to that. But thank you for sharing from your perspective too. Like I know that a lot of people who have maybe had a negative experience can carry, I don't know if it's like stereotypes of medical Mm -hmm. professionals in the field. And to hear you speak so compassionately and genuinely about the consideration and care that you take for mom is really meaningful. And I hope that that can challenge some people's perspective to know that when you're walking in, like there is safety and there is care considered from the people around you. And they're like, that's what they're there for. Right? We try. Yeah. Yeah. We try. Yeah. I mean, not everybody is, is perfect and not, ev- I'm not perfect, obviously, but not everyone is a super compassionate care provider, but I would say we're going the, in the right direction for sure. Yeah. And, and most of us are not out to destroy your birth plans. Most of us really, really want to 
have you come away from your birth. I'm, ch- I'm chuckling um, because with- it's like, unless it's like a push song that you feel like you really, really need to have, like that can probably be shelved for the time being, maybe, but or not. <laughs> I'm going to try and hit, you know, play on the player. But like, if I can't get to it, <laughs> just know. So funny. Okay, let's end it like this. If you had a push song, <laughs> Liesl, what would it have been? I'm so curious. I don't even know. I mean, I feel like the go-to one is either like push it like salt and pepper or like the one that's really popular now. What's the, I don't even know what the name of that one is now, but it's like that TikTok one. They're like, they do like the baby, it's a baby mama song dance or something. Oh, really? No, I haven't seen it. Oh, it's cute. People do like dances and stuff to it. I don't know. I mean, I feel like that's such a boring answer of like push it by salt and pepper. But also I saw this really, really hilariously cute video on TikTok, I think, where it was mom, she had an epidural and like she was about to start pushing and her husband was right there and they had like his mom and his brother. No, wait, maybe it wasn't his brother. I think it was his, I don't know. It was like a bunch of family members in there in the birth. And she was getting ready to start pushing and he like started beatboxing to that. And they all started like singing <laughs> like salt and pepper, like that song. And it was just so cute. So that's hilarious. That my song. It's a cute song. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would definitely need a really high energy excitement song. I don't know yes. what it would be, but it would have to be like something yes. high energy. And And I'm hearing about like, you're talking about this and like she had an epidural and she was getting ready to push because I've I've labored without an epidural and with one. And let me tell you, without one, yeah. I didn't even want to hear a freaking pin drop in the room. Like I didn't want to hear yeah. like anyone laughing in the distance. Like I was bitter. No, I like, was angry. Yeah. I was not. It was not good. <laughs> but once I got the epidural, I was down for it. I was like, can I have pizza? <laughs> like, am I allowed to eat right now? No. <laughs> but yeah, so that sounds that sounds good. We'll we'll stick with that one. And maybe I was going to say, maybe we'll play it on the outro of the podcast, but we probably don't have licensing rights to do that. (laughs) Yeah. You can look, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that would be cute. Anyways, thank you so much, Lisa. Where can people find you? We're going to link all of your stuff in the show notes, but where can they find you? Where are you hanging out online? Yeah, so I'm Mommy Labor Nurse on everywhere on the internet. If you go to my website, mommylabornurse.com. The birth plan that we talked about is just mommylabornurse.com slash birth plan. Really easy. And then I'm most active on Instagram. So there's a dot in my name. It's mommy.labornurse. If you can believe that mommy labor nurse was taken by somebody else when I first started mommy labor nurse, it yeah. was. It's not anybody that's doing what I'm doing, but I'd have a dot in there because of that. <laughs> mommy.labornurse on Instagram. I also have my podcast that you've been on, Erica, very recently. So it's just the Mommy Labor Nurse podcast on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. So those are our main things that we do now. And then I have the blog. Obviously, we have lots of blog articles and we have birth courses on our websites. But yeah, Yeah. that's me. If you search MLN, Mommy Labor Nurse, you'll find me some way. (laughs) And we'll make sure to link all those things in the show notes and make sure you follow along with her on Instagram. The videos and content that you put out are so educational and so helpful. So thank Thank you, you. Liesl, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Hey, me again. After I conducted this interview with Liesl, I just could not shake the real true need I felt for a postpartum plan and checklist specifically geared towards mom's adjustment to motherhood and mom's maternal health. So you know what? I went and put in hours of work and created a document that's over 15 pages long. 
a really practical guide and checklist for moms in the postpartum period. To get this free download, head to happyasamother.co slash prep list. That's happyasamother.co slash prep list. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job.